Hey team, welcome back to the 2022 and 2022 challenge. My name's Craig, I'll be your host for the podcast. Great to have you here. Today's episode was a recording from before the Commonwealth Games. I speak with Mackenzie Milne, aka Mickey. We talk about cycling. Mickey lives in Hamilton, New Zealand. She's a former world junior silver medalist and was planning to try and gain a spot in the New Zealand women's cycling team to go to the Commonwealth Games, but is currently managing two serious injuries. And we talk about her journey so far, uh, the challenges that come with sort of dealing with these kinds of injuries, the mindset that you need, the support that she gets, the comparisons with rugby in terms of pathways and Mickey ties it up with some really sound advice for athletes wanting to pursue cycling to the elite level. So I hope you enjoy the chat today. I'm also going to ask if you could please donate to the two charities that I'm fundraising for, Brave Mind and Head for Change. I have raised a thousand over a thousand pounds so far, so I'm halfway there. I'm looking to raise another thousand eleven pounds for the second half of 2022 to complete the 2022 and 2022 challenge, and I'm on the way to achieving the 2022 case for the year as well. So, link is in link for the bio is in the episode uh, notes. Please donate. Please be generous. Let's help these guys continue to do the great work they're doing in the community. On with the show. Thanks for thanks for being here today. Welcome to the 2022 and 2022 challenge. Today we're going to be talking about navigating the challenges of high performance sport. And I know your background is cycling. How did you get into the sport? Oh, I used to mountain bike. I mountain biked pretty much ever since I could walk, and I would always do races every week out in Pukete, which is in Hamilton in New Zealand. And um, I went to a school called Southall um, in year seven and eight, which I don't know what form that would be, maybe third and fourth form. But I had to pick a sport, and they didn't have a mountain biking team, but they had a road cycling team. And, yeah, I just started road cycling. My mum did not want me to do it because – she was scared that I was going to get hit by a car or something bad would happen to me. And then, yeah, I was really bad for about a year. And then um, the year, my second year of doing it, I got second at a school's nationals, which at the time was the biggest event in my life. And my mum cried and everything. And then, yeah, just ever since then, and never really looked back, to be honest, and did it all throughout school and still doing it now. But, yeah. Brilliant. So it's funny. Say again. Oh, just school sport. (laughs) Sounds like a great decision. Once you got into road cycling, how did your career progress from there? Oh, yeah. So I I forgot about the track cycling, but road cycling, my career was kind of building as a young person. And then there was a track cycling club out in Tiaomutu, which was on an asphalt track and they had like a, a have a go type of night and um, me and some friends went down and we had a go on the velodrome and it's a bit 
different to road cycling on the track because you don't have any brakes and it's a fixed wheel bike and you can't change gears so it's a little bit different to riding your normal bike and then they were also opening the velodrome which is an olympic standard one um the wooden one which you see on the olympics so i was like oh it'll be cool to get into that so you could so we can go and do the velodrome when it opens and yeah then again from that i never looked in terms of the question was around my career yeah yeah so in the career type of thing i was kind of me and this one other girl ali were i this is a bit humble brag here but we were pretty much the best from from since i can remember in the southern all the way up until um the end of high school like it was always her and i like first and second and the schools that we were in as well i went to waikato diocesan we were winning and then her school St. Peter's were winning as well. So it was a very like high profile high school student in the in the sport, um, which helped with going forward into um so the world outside of school and throughout school I was representing New Zealand and Switzerland and Australia and doing all these really cool things and um yeah, so I guess having all those opportunities led to where I am now which is a bit of limbo but yeah I've had some pretty cool experiences. So what's your speciality is it track cycling or road racing? I definitely prefer track cycling I don't I do not like hills at all and I'm definitely not built for hills um but yeah so my speciality is the probably the event that you would see if you thought about track cycling on the Olympics like the four people in the line going against the clock or against another team um and yeah that's what I've represented New Zealand for twice and then again the same type of thing but um by yourself so this that's that one's called the team pursuit and then I also do an individual pursuit which is the same thing by yourself and then another one which is called the Madison which like pretty much you sling your partner in with your hand, you grab them by the hand and throw them in and you do about 120 laps worth and it's just full gas. It's really, really carnage, but it's really fun. So yeah, that would be another speciality or preference of mine for events, but yeah, definitely track cycling. <laughs> Excellent. So how does the team pursuit work then? Because <clears throat> I know a lot of people will watch it and they'll just watch watch everybody flying around the track but it's a bit more technical than that. So there's four riders in the team and you have to do 16 laps and three people can finish, so one person can drop out. Each country has a different technique and it, the technique changes every year because of new scientific findings, aerodynamics, all all that jazz. And so before you go into the race, you have a bit of a strategy in terms of you kind of know who's the best rider and that gets suited to how many laps on the front you'll do. So the rider that's on the front is doing the hardest job because they have to break the win for the rest of the team. And so if you're the strongest rider, you might get told that you have to do two laps on the front and then the person behind might be a bit weaker, so they might do one and a half and then someone might do one, then the other person at the back might do two. And so it's all a bit of a strategy. And again, all teams are different. And then, yeah, you just stay up front, go as hard as you can while trying to keep consistent. And then, yeah, lap off on, on the banking, which is um, 43 degrees steep. 
and then come back down and you're normally going around like 60 kilometers an hour i think is the average wow. speed for that type of thing depending on what team you're racing with but yeah i mean it, it looks it looks very easy and i mean if it it is easy to an extent but there's there's obviously always things that you can work on we never like you can never be completely perfect right <laughs> so mm -hmm. in terms in terms of the front rider then um how much extra work are they putting in uh to maintain their speed or trying to increase the speed so you said they have to um they're riding against they're breaking they're making a slipstream for everybody else how much extra effort are they putting in at the front oh goodness um so power in cycling is measured by wattage and i would say the rider on the front would be doing 600 watts maybe per se i don't know how accurate that would be but then the rider below behind them would probably be doing half of that all right like it's so it's so huge it's a huge change because the wind is actually quite intense and you're normally on massive gears which but yeah it's definitely a big effort and if you do too much and you hit the red 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 line before it before your turn's done then and the team slows down then the effort to take to get the speed back up uh get the team back up to speed drains that next person and then it's kind of everything blows blows up so it's it's something that you have to practice over and over again um to fine tune but once you've got it it's really beautiful and that's what the end product is which everyone sees on tv but um yeah it's definitely a lot of practicing and putting people in different places because it all depends on who you're behind and um like how you each rider suits a team differently and no no team's ever the same <laughs> which is another yeah. hard thing so how easy is it to slot somebody in and out at the last minute then or do you normally plan for that um you normally plan with the spare rider in mind um we normally have a bit of an idea of who they would replace as well um depending on who it is it sounds quite bad but it's just the truth like depending if it was a really strong rider it would be really hard to make up that that loss and you'd probably have to be prepared to take the loss um yeah. with but if it was someone that was kind of one of the weaker middle riders, then it wouldn't be the biggest deal. It just it just comes up to the rider that has to sit behind them to make it feel normal for the rest of the team to Very keep good. up with that pacing and stuff. So yeah. how do, So I know that everybody when the medicine comes on, yep. it's like, mate, what's going on here? Um, it could take I could take all day to try and explain it. But basically what it is, is you're in a team of two and one person can only be on the race at a time. And it's a points race. So every 10 laps, they'll ring the bell and you sprint for points. There's so much tactics behind it. And honestly, you spend more time off the bike trying to figure things out than actually on the bike. But essentially, you're racing as hard as you can. This race is like, carnage like you go so far so much faster than you would by yourself because you're only in the race for two and a half laps ideally and then you grab your grab your partner's hand and then just like you have to throw them in and that's pretty much it like there's heaps of inside rules like you're not allowed to pass someone on the inside you have to always pass on the outside like communication is key when you're out of the race 
like waiting for your partner to come in you normally try and get in order of where they are in the race with the people around you oh my god it's it's crazy like and doing it at the world world stage as well is that is completely next level like I, I did it one year and um oh, oh we 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 didn't finish the race it was it was so intense but definitely an exhilarating experience for sure <laughs> So do the the top echelon, the top 2% of riders around the world, where do they generally come from? Is it a certain group of certain group of riders that will be that will stay at that level for the say five to ten years, or does it change quite regularly with young cyclists? Um, yeah, I think it normally tends to stick to the same type of people. For example, that girl that I was telling you about that her and I used to be like best throughout high school. She's now world tour winning pretty much every race in over in um, Belgium. And like, she, she's on fire. Like she went to the Olympics. She's, she's 21 my age and she's going to the Com games. She's won races for UCI, which is like world events. And um, she won one of the junior world events that I went to in, um, in Germany so she she's on fire and like she will be on fire for a long time and it's like that with most of the girls because when you get in a team you get all everything provided for you all the training and so once you get that it's kind of once you get that support it doesn't stop so yep. you have the opportunities to grow from that but yeah like it's quite it's very stable with who like it's not not normal that you'd see someone just jump out out of the blue yeah. and start. Yeah, it stays pretty consistent. And which which um, countries are dominating team pursuit at the moment, or and Madison? Oh, I don't know. To be honest, in women, it changes all the time in terms of teams. Um, I'd say Italy is the team that has always beaten us whenever I've raced. So I'd say Italy because they get treated like royalty from a very young age. So given all those opportunities and treated like carded athletes from high school. So um, they're obviously going to be the best if they're living and breathing the sport. But yeah, Italy, I would I would say in female. The males, I, I wouldn't, I would have no idea, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned just before carded. What does that mean? Oh, so carded is um, when you get a, to be a paid athlete from high-performance sport. So you get basically get given a job. You get hired by high-performance sport or cycling New Zealand as a paid athlete. So a bit like getting a super rugby contract in rugby. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's and the first step of making it, I would say. Yeah. It gives you the opportunity to kick on. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you mentioned earlier in the piece that um, well, limbo, you're in limbo at the moment. What does yeah. that mean? Um, so at the moment, I have a bulging disc in my back, which is um, lying on the nerve roots and shooting pain down the back of my legs. And I also have osteoporosis in my pelvis, which has kind of put me on the back burner for a lot longer than I was intending. Uh, the week that I actually got my MRI done. I It was the week before Nationals, which was supposed to be kind of a selection race for, like this year was supposed to be the year that my career kind of took off 
I was going to go away to America and race over there. And, um, yeah, I had, I had quite a cool year lined up for me and I was starting to actually really enjoy the sport and train with Cycling New Zealand. Like, my dream was kind of unfolding. And then, yeah, like, I got to the point where my legs were not working. Like, normally when you have sore legs, for me, it's legs. But you can normally push through pain. And sometimes it's actually quite enjoyable if you're you're challenging yourself like that. But this pain was, I could physically, I could physically, and that's because the blood supply was just getting cut and it felt like an intense burning. And yeah, so I'm just in limbo at the moment with with no sport from high performance. But um, yeah, just kind of doing my own thing with trying to rehab that injury. But yeah, it's not not the easiest for sure. So in terms of um, you, so what what's a treatment course of treatment like then? What do you? Um, it's, again, not I'm not a hundred percent sure what best treatment is. I've tried. I was going to physio and acupuncture every week. Now it's been pushed out to like fortnightly or monthly, depending. Um, I was doing a lot of Olympic lifting, funnily enough, for the upper upper body stability and trying to stack my spine and get it nice and strong but then now it's having a flare-up so I'm not doing anything but yeah just trying to strengthen the surrounding muscles and my core um but yeah like that's that's pretty much it apart from the rehab and trying to get my back to push the disc back in essentially right okay yeah, yeah. might be a infection soon yeah so the setbacks that you faced, um, that can be really challenging. How, you, how do you work through that disappointment? Yeah. Do you see it um, as disappointment or do you see as, especially with what you you described, it was going to be your year to go to the States and race and you had everything lined up and, you know, you're going to be supported and now you've got the bulging disc and, yeah, so I mean, um, in 2018, I broke my elbow really bad. It was the worst break that the best surgeon in New Zealand's ever seen. And I was 17 at the time, and I was supposed to be going to Junior Worlds in Germany the year after. And for throughout the rehab of that injury, I learned it grew me into the person I am today with the amount of um, mental health issues that that caused and so it kind of made me be able to deal with that stuff very easily so when when I see when stuff like that happens to me of course it's disappointing and it was really hard at the start for about a week I was I was finding it quite hard and I still I still do when I see my friends over there racing but I kind of have to take a step back and look at it through a different perspective I mean, that perspective changes every day and like some days are going to be better than others, of course, but um, I just have to look at it as, and know that I'm doing the best thing for me and a year out is not going to hurt me and it's not the end of the world. And, yeah, like the world keeps moving and I'm just trying to do what I can to get back there and I'm still young, so... I still have heaps of time. And, and again, I would rather have my body be functioning healthily than be performing under pressure and then ruining my health for the rest of my life, potentially. 
Yeah, and it, and it could be that um, this year off is that how long you've take you've been taking out the planners? Uh, the injury happened in March, and I'm still it still hurts like it happened yesterday. So it could I'm I'm just giving that myself the year, but I'm going to try and get back going before then, hopefully. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So in terms of as a question I ask a few people, as an athlete, as an athlete, you go to the gym to strengthen your body. Where do most young athletes go to strengthen their mind? Um, I find a lot of um, assurance and support from my parents and my family. It's I always like um, talking to them and friends and stuff as well to get a bigger perspective on things, especially when it, I may feel isolated or it might feel like the end of the world. I also find a lot of um, joy in work as well. I work for a supplement company and they look after me and give me everything that I could possibly ask for in terms of um, support when it comes to my my cycling and my mental health and everything. So um, they help as well. But yeah, just taking time for myself as well is really underrated, I think, but um, makes a big difference. Even like writing things down. But yeah, like just taking it step by step rather than getting overwhelmed by everything. <laughs> Probably the best way that I deal yeah. with that stuff. So nutrition and diet can really influence performance and obviously you're working in the store now tell us around the kind of sort of supplements or you know nutrition and diet that you incorporate when you're in season um in terms of food yeah and and supplements okay yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty boring when it comes to things especially when it's in training because food here is bloody expensive um i eat a lot of oats i would have that like for breakfast and for a snack as well and then like always keeping it keeping it simple with with the protein and the veggies trying to get in protein at every meal and then with supplements again i have worked in the industry for for nearly three years now so i've just tried to keep it simple because you can get into a bit of a black hole um, but I definitely one the consistence are always protein powder and like electrolytes as well. I find are pretty good at the moment with my injury. I'm taking a lot of um, vitamin D and calcium for my bone health and um, collagen as well for my joint health. But yeah, like very basic. Yeah, the stuff that you'd see all over like Instagram with the. Healthy, healthy food like the chicken and salad and pasta and boring stuff like that. That's that's pretty much me. And the oats for breakfast, like, yeah, I, I don't mind. Basically, so it's good for me. Locally, like the equivalent of Waikato Rugby Union and cycling. So we we have clubs, but they just it's kind of just something that you belong to, regardless of of like you pay for a membership to be with them and you actually have to um under new zealand cycling law to be classed as a cyclist or to race anywhere you have to be associated to a club so we do have clubs but in terms of like we had a development team that was really cool it was called the hub 
and um, they would offer development opportunities for up-and-coming cyclists and we would train and gym and um, have like random workshops with them as well but that shut down due to financial issues so nothing else nothing so it's either school or olympic team nothing in between, nothing in between. you're on your own yeah they try they try but the money like there's a massive issue with funding and yeah. um the harsh reality but it is it is the reality um and so they jesus they they just cannot they can't afford it which is the hardest part yeah but, yeah they're reliant from on handouts from the government yeah um so no, the All Blacks have got um, Gilbert and Oka for mental skills, and I've spoken with um, John Quinn from the Crusaders. Does um, Cycling New Zealand have anybody who manages mental skills for cyclists, high-performance cyclists? Within the organisation, they do. Right, so but if, you, if you're sitting on the outside, it's... Nothing. So recently, uh, Olivia Podmore passed away. And yeah. and obviously she was a pretty special person, uh, respected and loved by a lot of people. Did you know her very well, and and how did that impact you? Um, I didn't know her like the the best. Like it was funny. We actually, I don't think she ever liked me because one time we had we did this um, competition and. The person that could do the most watts on this this thing called a watt bike won won a bike and um, it was her and I against each other and I ended up winning it so I never thought that she liked me so um, that's pretty much the impression that I thought like I thought she didn't like me um, but then before she passed away I saw I was actually started hanging out with her quite a bit um, with like within the month of when she passed away and. Um, when it happened, it was obviously a big shock to everyone, and it was it's unfortunate that it had to take someone's life to impact an organ an organisation. But I guess that's what she felt like had to be done. Um, but yeah, it it was it was pretty rough. Um, definitely, like I would say, for like I for a month, it was probably just really dark, especially within Cambridge because the whole, that's where the whole community comes from, and. One of my best friends who's actually going to the Commonwealth Games. Um, she's actually here in my house right now. Um, she is, yeah, so my best friend was also good friends with her and trained with her every single day. And um, just seeing the impact that it had on other people, I think was probably the most heartbreaking because I was best friends with people that she was best friends with. And um, obviously within communities, everything goes through everyone. And um we all just we all just made sure to spend heaps of time with each other throughout the time and just going to hang out all together at everyone's houses at night time, especially um, and yeah, just figuring out what to do as it as it came along. But yeah, like definitely not the best thing, especially for the Olympic athletes as well. I felt pretty bad for them coming into isolation after getting back from the Olympics and finding out that that had happened and having to isolate in Christchurch where her funeral was and not being allowed to go to the yeah. funeral and yeah it was a pretty it was pretty it was a pretty bad time but um yeah I just hope that something will change 
and it'll get better within the organisation. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like uh, one of the things that everybody identified is that support. Is cycling a lonely sport to be involved in? Yes, very, very. No, you have no friends. Because <laughs> in terms of your training, if you're training, are you on the road? Or you in the yeah. you in the yeah avoiding so hills. Most of the time, I say around like eighty to ninety percent, depending on if you're if you're funded and paid for, you you get to go. You'll train at the velodrome every day with the team. But for me, most of my training, I would say around twenty to twenty five hours a week was purely on the road, pretty much by myself, apart from if I was to go to club racing which you're just racing people. And it was cool because it was community-based, but I was the only one person from my age doing it. Um, but, yeah, other than that, it would be, like, four-hour days on the road by myself, going out the back of mountains and, and yeah, by myself. And that's just how it is. Makes you stronger. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> try Makes try you to. Yeah, it makes you appreciate the good things when you when you get to be involved. Hundred percent, yeah, sure does. What's next? Um, I probably probably just getting back to fitness again and um, giving myself like giving it a hundred percent, and then going to over to America and racing over there for a little, little bit, just traveling around the world and racing and getting in that experience so that I can come back within the span of the Olympic cycle to get into the Olympic team and then hopefully would would be to represent my country at the Olympics. But if I was to do that, I would still be, I would be 23, which is still really young for a cyclist. The average age is like late 20s, early 30s. So it's not that likely, but yeah, so just, getting back to fitness and making sure that my head my mentality is still in the game and I'm still um 100% in it for me and me only yeah but, yeah yeah earlier you mentioned Italy I just want to go back yeah. to that um what makes them so much better well the first year that we raced them they beat us they lapped us they passed us and so they won the year after, we we missed out on gold. They still beat us, but we missed out on gold by 0.007 seconds. Wow. So, so I mean, they're better, but not by much now. But I think their support network is insane. Like, we showed up, and they've got all the same bikes. They've got the flashiest bikes. They've got the flashiest wheels. They've got the nicest kit. Everything is top tier. Their training you can just tell that their training is also top tier because they have they have so much money over there and they have like they go to school and they they it's like a cycling training cycling school. school. Yeah. yeah. So it's all hooked up with everything pristine and it's like they're just well conditioned and that environment is what they're used to. So when going to race especially in Europe as well, that helps. But when going to race, they just they just show up and they know what they're there for. And that's to literally 
kill everyone so <laughs> and they will and they 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 deliver so um we like we would show up and we and had, didn't know what to do we were scared scared but yeah. we'd go as hard as we could yeah which which also does get you quite far but um yeah they were just conditioned to like something next level especially for um younger riders as they as they get older it kind of levels out a little bit more but um yeah for for the juniors it's like kind of a given that italy is going to smash everyone in terms of you just mentioned around kit and the best best um bikes when you go to meets do is there a standard for what you can have in terms of what your bike setup is like? No, there's not a standard. Um, you can have any type of bike, but the lighter it is, the faster it goes. Um, there is a regulation for the aerodynamic position. Like you can't be, your seat can't be too far forward and your handlebars can't be too far forward or back. Um, but that's pretty much it. Like it, they don't really, care about what what quality your bike is or anything um but yeah like if you if you want to be the best you pretty much have to have the best stuff <laughs> yeah which yeah it's cheap. how much does a bike cost how much would the top bike cost 150 mm. quid i have no idea what that that translates to in new zealand dollars <laughs> to be honest. um 300 dollars Oh Jesus! No, a, a bike in New Zealand, a frame only, is about six thousand dollars plus six to eight thousand dollars on average, and then a wheel is five thousand dollars for one. What? And you need about four of them or plus. <laughs> yeah. That's so, a lot of money, isn't it? Like a bike would be like fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. Very, very so, fun. So there's got a, obviously there's a race within a race within a race in terms of trying to find that edge. Um, and if the powers that be aren't really that worried around about the the bike itself or you know within a mm. few regulations, um, people try and get that edge in terms of their own performance. Is there? I know in road racing, um, there may be sort of doping going on. Is the same on the track as well? Um, in my this... eyes, no, no. I mean, in my eyes, the sport is very clean. Like, I yep. have never heard of a New Zealand athlete ever actually going through anything like that. I, I mean, I've heard it internationally. Um, and that's only after it's been public that they got found out for for doing something. But um, I think out of like most of the sports, cycling is pretty good. But the WADA, which is World Anti-Doping Agency, they are pretty good on their testing. Like they test quite frequently, and even I got tested not that long ago. Um, so I think people were just like way too scared, and it's the education's coming out about it, and it's quite a, a nice, safe environment now. There's no, nothing like that is an issue um at the moment at least <laughs> yeah well, it's, that way. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, I suppose if it's ha if it's not happening now, it's the chance of it not happening in the future a lot higher. Um, yeah. Sort of having, you know, leaving the high performance environment and um, not being supported. How many? I don't want this to sound so um, ruthless. You can say it. Is it like a conveyor belt? People come in, they either meet the mark and they go straight up, or they cut. Yeah. And so yeah. if there's, so how do they develop people to get get to be back up there? They don't. They don't. Is I mean, it's everything is some like everything is your own choice, and that's they make that known. Like, if you if you're debating whether you want to stay in the sport, whether you want to quit, they're not going to say you have heaps of potential really keep pushing it they'll say that's completely your decision and that's it it's it's quite yeah it's quite cutthroat so what kind of what kind of personality does it take to become a high performance cyclist i mean if you if you have a look at all the people that you've dealt with what kind of personalities come through um people that can take a lot a lot of a lot of kicks and people that don't get emotionally attached to things and people that people with like not much personality I would say like just quite plain people that can know how to do something and do it well and people that can push their bodies to the screen and um yeah get like feel okay well be able to take disappointments quite frequently. Does the organisation have a duty of care to look after those that that are not with them? Yeah. No. Like we don't even get told requirements that they need. like you they say that you need to be a good person, but at the end of the day if you're a good person and someone's beating and and they're not as good as a nice person as you then they're not gonna take you just because you're nice they're just going to take the faster person yeah um so it would appear or from has there been much change in the organization since Livy passed away i'm not sure i i i think that the the changes that needed to take place are going to take a lot of time and um i haven't been as involved since so i can i um, I don't actually know. What would your recommendation be for up-and-coming athletes in terms of their own development? What would you tell them to focus on? Happiness. Like, yeah. just making sure that you're happy within the sport and doing it because you love it, not because of anyone else's influence, not because of your mum, your coach, your dad, whoever, your, like, friends, like, don't do it because you think it'll make you cool. Do it because you want you could because you love it. And I think that's 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 pretty much the only way that you'll be able to continue with in um, high performance sport is because of the passion. And the passion has to out outweigh all of the the hardships that sport come with. So um, honestly, just checking yourself regularly and making sure that you're still enjoying it and taking breaks where you need it because at the end of the day, a, a break, however long it may be, will not be the end of the world. You're, you're not going to die. 
as much as it may feel like it because I definitely know that you feel guilty for taking breaks and you feel like people aren't going to survive without you and like I said before the world does move on yeah as hard as it as it may be it does whatever you think everybody's just going to carry on living their own lives 100 percent, and it's taken me a few years to realize that to be honest <laughs> yeah no that's pretty profound for that to come out and say just be happy you know and look after yourself and make sure you've got that passion that speaks volumes so i think we'll wrap it up there yeah no that's great Hey, thank you very much for coming on. It's lovely to catch up and lovely to talk to you. Take care. Have a lovely evening. Well, I really enjoyed the conversation and catch up with um, with Mackenzie. Um, she inspires me through her tenacity and resilience, and I am blown away by the fact that she understands that it is a long race, not a quick race, and a year out will not hinder her chances of achieving her goals. We will monitor her progress, and maybe in the future we will get her back on to have another catch-up. Uh, but let's just see how that goes. As you're probably aware, and I said it earlier in the piece, I'm raising money uh, for Brave Mind and Head for Change. So please, 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 a penny, a pound, please donate. I'm halfway there. I want to get through to the end of the year uh, for these guys. They're doing bloody great work uh, out in the community. So let's try and support them to continue to do that. Anyway, I'll sign off now. My name's Craig Bartlett. I'm really proud to be supporting Brave Mind and Head for Change. And you've been listening to the 2022 and 2022 Challenge podcast.